Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, August 20th, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book. You're going to find us in Chapter 5, entitled How It Works, on page 65, the very first paragraph beginning with, On Our Grudge List. And today's readers are Rick, Paula, Devorah, and Melanie. And the share ID number for yesterday's meeting, Monday, August 19th, is 4974. That's 4974. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Sarah to read the 12 steps, please. Good morning. This is Sarah, compulsive overeater from New York. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God Remove all these defects of character. 7. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11 sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you. Thank you. I will now call on Ann S., to read the 12 traditions. Uh, hi, good morning. This is Anne, compulsive overeater from Pennsylvania. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 
too, for our group purpose there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever nonprofessional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in Chapter 5 entitled How It Works. We are on page 65, the very first paragraph, beginning with on our grudge list. And I will ask Rick to begin reading, please. Good morning. I'm Rick, a recovered compulsive overeater. On our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations, which had been interfered with, were usually as definite as this example. I'm resentful at Mr. Brown, the cause, his attention to my wife, told my wife of my mistress, Brown might get my job at the office. It affects my sex relations, my self-esteem, and what's the uh, fear, uh, my sex relations, self-esteem, fear, uh, security, self-esteem, also a fear component. Uh, Mrs. Jones, she's, he's resentful at Mrs. Jones because she's a nut. She snubbed me. She committed her husband for drinking. He's my friend, 
and she's a gossip, it affects my personal relationship and self-esteem. I'm resentful at my employer. The cause, unreasonable, unjust, overbearing, threatens to fire me for drinking and padding my expense account. It affects my self-esteem and my security. I'm resentful at my wife. Uh, the cause, she misunderstands and nags. She likes Brown. She wants the house put in her name. It affects my pride, my personal and sex relations, and my security. So here we, we see the basic outline of how to do the inventory. Um, it gives a, a nice example. There's not a lot of words in this, a lot of bullets. You're not writing a book. You're writing, you know, small details. But what I'd like to look at is that column that says the cause, um, the, the reason why this person in this example was resentful. And if we go right down that list, attention to my wife told my wife of my mistress, Brown may get my job. She snubbed me. She committed her husband for drinking. He's my my friend. Um, threatens to fire me. Padding my expense account. Uh, likes Brown. Wants to put the house in her name. All these causes are things that affected me. They affect the person that's doing the inventory. We're not writing um, a lot of stuff about what is the other person, uh, bad qualities of the other person, or bad qualities about the institution. We're writing the reasons that they affect us. When we write the reasons that they affect us, then when we get done with this part of the inventory, we're able to understand our part in the resentment. If we're just writing about the other person, we don't see where we're to blame. And that's the, the purpose of this inventory, is to find out what we did wrong, what, how our thinking is misguided, and where we've, um, where we've done wrong. Not necessarily what the other person has done. The other person may be wrong, but we're we're looking to find out how it affects us. So I'll pass with that. Thank you, Rick. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Star one to unmute. This is Paula. May I comment? Yes. Thank you. You know, it began with on our grudge list. Well, I love Mr. Daniel Webster also. He's been quite a help to me. And I decided I would look up the word grudge. I mean, I kind of knew what it meant. But then as I looked, it said to cherish ill will. I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that. To cherish ill will. And that made the difference. That showed me what it does. This is the mental twist. This is what it does to me. I want to hold on to something like this, ill will. Then as it was beautifully described, and I just am so, 
as definite as this example. You got to be definite here. What you resentful of, the cause, and what it affects, and that's always what it was. What it affects. What it affected was my whole life. My whole life. And I didn't even see it. And I was all at all times living it, cherishing ill will. I'll show them. Ha! Huh? They did that. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Katie. Katie, go ahead. Good morning. This is Katie in Virginia, a recovered compulsive overeater. And I'm reading this, and it and it sounds so easy. You know, that's, that doesn't sound too bad. But, you know, when you've spent a lifetime like I had blaming my dad for leaving me when I was eight years old for, um, you know, every problem in my life, then, you know, that was really, it was really hard. It makes me tear up just thinking about it, that I had to look at how it affected me. Because I thought that, um, that I just spent so much time just pointing my finger at him and his fault that, you know, I didn't want to admit that it affected me. Even though I used it as an excuse for all kinds of things, I still didn't, it was painful to look at, um, how that affected my self-esteem and my pride and my, you know, the list of character defects that came from, you know, what I thought was someone else's problem or fault. And, you know, I didn't want to look at my part. And, you know, as I've gone through this process, I've learned that it's so freeing to look at my part. Because then I can surrender it and there's something that can be done about it. Me trying to change my father was a futile effort. Me trying to change anybody is a futile effort. But looking at my part and asking God to help me to change and to, um, you know, it says to clear away the wreckage of our past. You know, I can clear away that wreckage. When you think of wreckage... You know, I don't have a dictionary in front of me, but, you know, my husband was late coming home from work because there was a wreck. Well, if they just left that wreck there, everybody would be late for the rest of the year because of that wreck in the middle of the road. But we don't do that. We clear it away. And then, you know, things are back to normal. Well, that's what we're doing here. We are looking at the things from our past that have been a wreck that have been a stumbling block in our development as people. And, you know, I thought that it was, you know, these different events or these different people, well, if you had my life, you know, you'd eat too. But, you know, really, we can clear it all away, and then we're left with ourselves, and God will make something new out of ourselves. And, you know, it, see, it, is, it isn't easy. I'm not going to sugarcoat it pardon the pun, and say that it's easy to look at this stuff. It's a level of pain that I had never been to because I didn't cry. I ate. I ate instead of feeling those feelings. If I cried in the first 27 years of my life, or really 30-some years of my life, it was for a split second. And then I shut it down because I didn't want to feel anything. I spent a career 
making sure I did not feel pain. And I had to learn how to feel my feelings and then see what God needed me to do to change. And that'll pass. Thank you so much. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Rose? Rose, go ahead. Thank you. It's Miriam. And then Miriam. Good morning. This is Rose, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And um, the thing, when I um, completed this, um, I did this four steps the same way it's listed here in the uh, big book. And my experience here, where it was said under the cause, everything was had to do with me. And my sponsor shared with me the fact that um, the resentments, all resentment, uh, its foundation is fears and lies. And by listing my resentments this way, resentful at the person, and then the cause very briefly saying, what exactly it was that it affected me, and it was all me. And by the time I finished writing out with this format, the, my resentments, I want to tell you it was so very clear to me, as it was said in the big book, that this world had wronged me. Yet with listing it this way, the um, the wisdom of it coming through and then where I was taught how to turn this around, saying, where was I selfish? Where was I dishonest? Where was I fearful? Um, and what what was exactly my, <clears throat> my doing in what I listed and was pointing my finger at? That is where the light, as it says when we get up to the fifth step, <clears throat> excuse me, where I began the process of swallowing big chunks of truth about myself um, at seeing through every resentment that was listed, the um, people and the institutions and the principles, that none of those people or organizations had ever wronged me, that it was my doing over and over and over again. And the power was transforming. With that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. And Miriam, please go ahead. Hello? Now we hear you, Miriam. Go ahead. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you saying. Um, yeah, this is Miriam calling from Israel, and I'm grateful to be here. Uh, recovered compulsive overeater, living and the solution to the best of my ability one day at a time. Well, here in this paragraph, we get into the third column in the, in the chart that we have in this page 65. And, you know, before that, you know, I was asked by my sponsor to write, you know, the first column, just, you know, names of people, institution, and uh, 
and um, principles and then I had to go to the second column and do the courses, you know, why why am I angry, why am I resentful, why am I burnt out. And then the third one, um, you know, I had to get in touch with my, already start to get in touch with my my part, which, uh, you know, asking myself where, you know, how did it affect my myself, uh, my sex relationship, my self-esteem, my security, my ambition, my pride. And then um, after that, you know, uh, the real... Um, the real part of me was to see uh, where I was selfish, um, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened. And I did like uh, what is called turnaround, which I had to really look at every case of uh, people, places, and things, and look at my own uh, thing. And obviously, I had a lot of it that was related to what I was angry at. Um, mainly my anger was because uh, things uh, don't go uh, the way I want them to be, uh, I, that I wasn't the center of the world. Or, uh, But when you, bring a sh- uh, when you bring God into this picture, it's just a, a different thing altogether. Um, uh, so it's 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 a process of of action, and this action continues when we get afterwards, you know, in, in step 10, 11, uh, 10, 11, and twelve, that we keep looking for for our selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, and, and fears, which is a very normal human um, shortcoming. Uh, I don't know how to call it, um, and and. And the reason why we we need uh, a, rela- a very, very close relationship with the higher power on a moment-to-moment basis. Thanks for letting me share. I pass. Thank you so much, Miriam. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. So here uh, the big book introduces and teaches about the four-step inventory and is certainly both uh, brilliant and simple in its uh formation here they're asking for columns you know on our grudge list what's on this initial list this first column obviously are the people institutions or principles that we discussed yesterday the things you know that i am feeling over and over and over again you know we call it uh living in our brain rent free kind of stuff you know things that i replay over and over the what ifs and the if onlys and if this happened what if this happened so these are the people institutions or principles in the first column uh quick you know what is on my mind i'm basically emptying out the file cabinets of my the warehouse of my mind then i go on to column 2 uh why am i angry uh, what's bothering me? You know, what happened that's bothering me? But this is done in a very shorthand. Uh, this is not done in excruciating detail because actually this is not really that important, this column two. Uh, it's just a notation of what event I'm referring to. I know very well what event I'm referring to. You know, you could say uh, December of 71. <laughs> it could be very uh, brief here. The, what you know, when we move into column three, uh, starting to focus on, you know, how it affected me, how it started to affect me. 
you know, um, this is where I really start to take a look at these kind of things. Um, you know, how does it affect my pocketbook? Does it affect my ambitions? Does it affect my security? Does it affect how safe and secure I feel? Does it affect my personal relations? Uh, does it affect uh, my intimate relationships? I'm starting to take a look at how it affects me. How did that behavior affect me? Um, and I was taught, and it, certainly I can say that it is true for me, that it was more powerful to go down each column before I filled out the next one. So I, I wrote down, uh, you know, the list of people, institutions, and principles, then I went on to the cause, then I went on to column three, uh, and take a look at how it affected me, um, because this opportunity uh, was to start taking responsibility for my own thinking and for my own behavior. I was no longer going to be able to afford to blame these things on other people. I was going to start to look at it from a different angle. What was threatening me? Why was it threatening me? Um, you know, it began to show me what was at the core, and I began to see some patterns starting to be revealed. I didn't realize how many resentments I had until, and how much they controlled and dominated my thinking until I got it down on paper, and then I began to see the patterns being revealed, that it didn't matter whether it was my father, a professor, or an old boss. It could have been different characters in the play, you know, a few characters from the 70s, a couple of characters from the 80s, but the result was always the same. I was responding to these individuals in the same way. And that was my responsibility because I can't get upset with other people unless some basic instincts of mine are being threatened. And when those basic instincts were threatened whether they were social, whether they were self-esteem related, whether they were personal relationship related, security related, what did someone like me do? <laughs> someone like me cut it off at the chase by what? By digging my hands into a cellophane bag and a, a cellophane bag and a bakery box. So I began to take a look through this process, very simple process of how it was affecting me. Because the truth is, an injury might have been, uh, you know, created in December of 71, and that was a hurt, and perhaps it was a justified hurt. However, I was continuing to relive that injury. That's one something that could be a wrong, then turns into resentment. Because although an incident might have occurred in 71, I was replaying it in throughout the, the decade of the 80s. <laughs> That's my responsibility. That was directing my thinking. And God cannot direct my thinking if I don't take a look at what that thinking is. God can't remove that thinking and change that thinking unless I at first identify what that thinking was and put it on paper and be willing to have it changed. And that's what the step four is all about. And who would like to comment on what was read next? Anyone else on what was read? Uh, Leah, this is Lois. May I Lois, ask? go ahead. Sure. I 
Good morning, everyone. This is Lois, recovered in Massachusetts. And uh, th- this this chapter is so rich that um, I, you know, I, I a lot has already been said, but I just wanted to, you know, share my experience with this. That, you know, I had been tortured. I want to use that word tortured for so long with uh, for so long with the way I. I, what what I believed about this world, you know, in 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 my family, uh, growing up in my family, you know, when something was wrong, we learned we learned um, how to blame someone. You know, I never heard anybody say, "Yeah, I did that." But anyway, when I finally got to this this step four, you know, I I was um, I was very tortured. I felt I felt like I was wrong. You know. I, I I was angry, but I didn't know it, and I was resentful, and I didn't know it because I had shoved all of this down, and and you know food kept me insulated from who I was and what was going on with me, and it wasn't until I was willing to put the food down that you know this this came to my attention in a in a very abrupt way, you know I began to feel many many things. It was kind of like. You know, the um, somebody took took the plug off the sewer or something, but all of these feelings came forth, and and I I was um, I was overwhelmed by my feelings, and um, I I began to do this step because I I really didn't know at the first time I did it how much I needed God to help me with this. I mean, I knew it intellectually, but I hadn't um, a conscious heart connection yet with God, but I did ask Him to to show me, you know. What what part I played in this to help me to do this? I couldn't do this, and and so when I began to to do this, um, I saw I, I understood very very quickly. I understood, you know, that um, my most of the problems that were in my life, you know, using this using this um, formula, was were connected to my reactions to people. You know, I was a people pleaser, and I I I was. Uh, I, I never told anybody I was angry, and I pretended that you know nothing was wrong. So I, I had all of these situations going on in my life. I didn't cause a lot of problems to other people, other than you know I, I got even in my own quiet way. But it was it was um, it was all under underneath and inside of myself that I was boiling over. So I saw that. I was reacting and not I was re- reacting instead of responding. Everything that people did to me, I had a reaction about. And and it wasn't until all of this bubbled up inside of me as when I put down the food that I began to see, you know, just, you know, what what a devastation this disease had done on me. So when I began to understand and I did understand, I understood quickly. I wasn't able to practice this quickly, but when I began to understand that this was something that I I had a big part in, you know, 100%, really, you know, that I could not control and change other people, places, and things. And and I could, you know, find a new way, you know, to, um, to understand this and to put it into practice. You know, the big book really, you know, gave me the, the, the most important gift I ever had in my life, first of all, because I always tried to change people, places, and things, and when I couldn't, I just automatically assumed there was something wrong with me because, you know, I couldn't stop eating, I couldn't, I didn't know how to live with other people, uh, I, so that when I began to see this, I began to, for the first time, this was hope, hope for me, 
because I I knew I couldn't change you. I had spent all my life trying to change the way you thought, the way you acted, the way you saw me. So when I began to see that there was something I could do about me, I I began to have just just small small glimmers of hope, and um, I I I began to recover. I began to recover. This was a recipe for life, for life 101, and it was showing me, you know, how I could go on and lead a, a life uh, built on spiritual principles. So for me, it was there was a lot of hope, and I know that this book was written by alcoholics, for alcoholics, to help them recover. And I, I had faith in this book, and I had faith in the people who were leading me. And, and so there, for me, it was just a Beginning of a lifetime. I mean, when I did step four, the, the first, the, the first and most thorough time, uh, it began to change the way I thought. You know, I knew, do believe that. You know, I began to be able to practice spiritual principles. But the rest of my life, I practiced this one day at a time. You know, it's the beginning of showing me uh, how I could live my life on on spiritual principles, and for that. I was very, very grateful, and I remain grateful today. So I'm going to pass and uh, leave it at that. Thank you so much, Leah. Thank you. Let's move on to the next paragraph now with Paula, please. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Rita. We went back through our lives. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us, and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse, and then we were sore at ourselves. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. We went back through our lives. I didn't even want to stay in today, let alone go backwards. But that was the only way to go forward. I understood that finally. And I didn't want to stay where I was. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. Did we not read, we stood? We stood. And I did. Then it goes on. We considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. Yeah, I kind of like staying right around here. To conclude that those were wrong was as far as most of us ever got, and there it is. There's no recovered here. This is staying right where I was. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us. This is life, and we stayed sore. Oh, my goodness. Sometimes it was remorse, and then we were sore at ourselves. That's all we were. Isn't that what it said? Just burned up. We were sore, and we were burned up. Apt description. Everyone and myself. What was left? But the more we fought, and fight I did, and tried to have our own way, and that's where it was. I couldn't see that. But that's what was so evident as I wrote. Well, if this would only do that, well, of course I have every right to because they did that. My fear, my insecurities, they all came to frontier. The worst matters got. It didn't get better. Now, this part, Bill W., we know, was in the First World War, 
Azenois, the victor, only seemed to win. Now, italics is seemed. That's what it looked like. Take a look around. What did you win? What did you win? Wounded souls? Broken souls? Buildings burned? What did you win? Destruction? Do you see it? Clearly now? Our moments of triumph. Yeah, I showed them. Did you? We're short-lived. There's a word, pyro victory. And it means achieved at such great cost that it is nearly a defeat. So what did you win after all? But we need to clearly look at this to thus go forward. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Sheila? Sally. Sally. Sheila and then Sally. Go ahead, Sheila. Hi. Good morning, Sheila H. from New York. wanted to identify. Um, Thank you so much for the service. Ah, boy, this really rung out to me. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. Um, it seemed like in my upbringing, everyone around me was fighting the same battle. We were all fighting to be heard, to be seen, to be loved, and we just constantly butt heads. Um, for me, at one point, I just kind of stopped fighting. I remember just stopped fighting to be heard, to be seen, and I think that's probably when I really kind of got into the food. It was just so much anger around me that I didn't want to be um, like the people that were around me. I didn't want to the anger to come out, but I suppressed the anger with the food, that's for sure. And um, I think today we just all wanted to be loved, we wanted to feel special and needed to be part of, but it seemed like everybody was fighting the same field. I, I didn't think of that till just now as I heard the Paula Reed, and it was like a light bulb. It, says it wasn't just me fighting, we all were fighting for the same thing to be seen, to be loved, to be heard. And at one point I just said I give up, and I just started using the food um, to anesthetize me at one point. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Sheila. And now Sally, please. Sally, star one to unmute. Oh, thank you, Leah. This is Sally, recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. This is interesting, This uh, these two sentences to me, because I honestly thought, seriously, sincerely thought, I made great arguments for my positions. And I remember through my life having people multiple times say to me, you're always right. And I would sheepishly think, I'm sorry, but I probably am. Look at my great argument. I was great at justifying myself. I remember as a kid, uh, as someone shared just a few moments ago, that nobody in our house ever took the blame. My poor mother used to walk around saying, oh, the phantom strikes again. And we'd all giggle and walk away and disperse. The crowd would disperse. But the truth was the matter was that I did justify myself well, and I never really took a look 
at my part, and I certainly had a part. It reminds me on page 90 in the 12 and 12, right in the middle of the second paragraph, it says, what about justifiable anger? And I really felt I had some really strong arguments for my justified anger. And it goes on to say, we have found that justified anger ought to be left to those better qualified to handle it. When I was doing my fourth step inventory and I was taking a look at these columns for the very first time that I did it correctly after doing it wrong three times in the course of 30 years, once I made these columns and I looked at that last column, it was very, very uncomfortable. I was squirming. It says the usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. That was me. Sometimes it was remorse, and then we were sore at ourselves. That was rare. But the more we fought, there's my key word, and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. This book is teaching me and continues to teach me. On page, on page uh, 84 at the bottom, it says, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time sanity will have returned. So I was sick, and I was fighting everything, anyone, and even the food, because it was futile. It says on page 98 at the bottom, argument and fault finding are to be avoided like the plague. This was not happy news for me when I, when I read this through the first time, because this was a way of life for me. I was good at it. It's a talent to be able to argue your way out of everything. But that was to be over. And finally, on page 103, after all, our problems were of our own making. That was a shock. Bottles were only a symptom. Besides, we have stopped fighting anybody or anything. We have to. That's what it says. We have to. So back to page, the top of page 66. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. As in a war that Victor seemed to win, I wasn't really winning anything. I was just leaving in the dust people behind me who were hurt, all kinds of bad feelings. And what did I really accomplish? I walked away really not, not feeling so good about myself. Our moments of triumph were short-lived, and that was the truth. And so I would just say, in, in, uh, to end my share, that we do have to be thorough and honest, honest with ourselves. Thank you for letting me share, Leigh, and with that I pass. Thank you, Sally. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Sylvia. Monica. Sylvia and then Monica, please. Good morning, everyone. This is Sylvia, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in upstate New York. And um, this, I mean, this whole part of the fourth step is so critical to my recovery. And I had talked about my fourth step. You know, I'm, I'm very grateful that I came in so desperate. It took me a year. I came in desperate to put down the food, and then it took me a year to get desperate enough to do my fourth step. But the beauty of the fourth step when I did it is I did have someone that had me do it just exactly this way out of the big book. Um, no essays, no dissertations, make a list, and then, you know, we quickly got to my part. And when I got to look at this, 
you know, I, I went into the fourth step to conclude that others was wrong, were wrong was as far as most of us ever got, because I was sure everyone was wrong. And I had to justify my outcome all the time, which gave me, of course, I felt shame all the time. My life was filled with shame because I knew I was a fraud. And I was afraid you were going to see I was a fraud and a fraud on all levels. So anything I did was to make you think better of me. And of course, it didn't matter if you thought better of me because I thought so bad about myself. So it was an endless circle. It was never going, going to work. And, and it says the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. And that's exactly what would happen is I, I kept on escalating and it was never going to get uh, resolved. I was just making people dislike me more. When I sat down for my fourth step and she could show me I could see those character defects. Uh, it's, it's in the book, but it is uh, the veil got to be lifted for a second, and I got to look out there and went, huh, isn't that interesting? And the, the beauty of it is at that moment, I got to say, well, that's not been working for me. I don't think I'll do that anymore. And I asked God for help, and and. Uh, for a while, I didn't, you know, and, and when the shame got to be relieved, when I got to see my character defects, give it up to God, I had a sponsor who didn't judge me, said, hey, been there, done that, been, I'm with you, babe. I, I was okay with myself for a while, and what happened is when the shame got lifted, the obsession to compulsively overeat also got lifted, and that was a miracle. I could not believe it. And then... What we know now, which I didn't know then, is that we immediately have to continue working through step nine, which I have now gone back and done since. And the way it works for me now is if I start to get into some of this crazy, insane thinking, when I start to judge other people, when I'm critical of other people, when I'm critical of like a meeting or whatever, I know that that's a barometer of my spiritual fitness. And so I need to go back and get into my 10th step, which is to take the daily inventory so I can stay connected to God, because I like having the obsession lifted. I like not having chatter in my mind. So, you know, the, the, it's so worth it for me now to keep on doing the work. I just didn't know how to do it when I first uh, did the four step, but it did feel like somebody had lifted a veil and I could see my part. And I was smart enough at that moment to go, that is so not working for me. God, I need to change. And, you know, we always hear, you know, a bless them, change me. And I got to practice that, and I'm very, very grateful. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sylvia. And Monica, please go ahead. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are and how it works and we're starting our fourth step inventory here, and we've done our first three columns. And it said, you know, we went back through our lives. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. Thoroughness, exhaustively, completely, absolute, specific here with all the people that we have been angry with, resentful, irritated, uh, miffed, uh, hurt us, you know. And then the causes. And um, I'm looking at this and what was jumping up at me was restless, irritable, and discontented. 
here when we're seeing these three columns. And the big book here in this paragraph that we're reading is saying, yes, yes, to conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. They are these next few paragraphs we're going to be talking here. They're telling us exactly where it is and what we're like. That we have spent our years in this restless, irritable, discontented mode thinking we are winning when we're just getting deeper in the muck by holding on to these resentments um, against other people and to conclude that they were always wrong. And that's where we've been. And and it doesn't do us any good. We stayed sore, you know, and then either we're sore at them or we get sore at ourselves, remorse, you know. So when we're doing these three columns, it can bring up a lot of pain, a lot of shame. But you're instructed to keep moving. Keep moving, keep moving. Don't go there if you can help it. Don't be, but this is part of the process, and it's important that we do this. God is going to reveal so much to you. And he's going to give you new classes. And like was earlier said in the effects column there, here we are, we're beginning to look at how these things bothered us. That's a change, and this whole process is changed. So if you're here and you're looking at these three columns, that's where you're at. Keep moving, because it's, it's going to get easier and better for you if you do. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, Leigh, it's Georgette. I'd like to comment. It's Georgette. Miriam. Okay. Um, Georgette, go ahead. Georgette, compulsive overreader from New York. Um, oh, I was sitting here listening, or I'm standing here pacing, and I was getting anxious laden. I don't know about anybody else, but I gathered resentments like rolling stones. I'd roll around and grab them and... I kept them for years, and I never understood about this work. But listening to everybody explain the way they explained it made me see that had I not been doing the work, that I would have gathered more. And for that, I'm so grateful because incidences have occurred in my life. Um when I was in this program actively working it to the best of my ability and learning how to do a 10-step every night. And I don't know about anybody else, but I don't like feeling pain. It's a very uncomfortable thing. And the one thing that we weren't promised is that, you know, recovering or recovered, we would not not feel pain. And my first experience with extreme anguish over losses happened after I was, you know, really working this program. And what I learned was that I didn't have to gather the resentment. I could feel the pain, look at my part, and I didn't have to react or defend myself. And for me, that was the biggest miracle, actually being quiet and having a sponsor to talk this over with while I was feeling such pain, and it was painful. It was painful enough that when my day ended, I just wanted to close the windows and the doors and just shut myself up into the quiet because my normal reaction to you hurting me was defense, that I had to defend myself. So being reminded that doing this work actually does work even when you don't understand what it is you're doing, 
Eventually you will, and I appreciate so much all that was said this morning. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? It's Um, Miriam. Miriam, go ahead. Miriam and then Janice, please. Go ahead. Uh, Thank you very much, Leah. This is Miriam calling from Israel, the compulsive overeater. Living and resolution one day at a time. Well, you know, when we, when I, when I came to this program, I mean, I, I went through different phases, and, and I even worked the, you know, the steps uh, with my fellowship. And in the beginning, I did work uh, like uh, almost 200 questions that I have to talk about my childhood and ad- adolescence and and and. Um, you know, adulthood, whatever, and it was very useful because it was the first time that I really got in touch with a lot of things and a lot of feelings and a lot of stuff that I wasn't aware. But really, um, I mean, it helped me at that stage, and that, that's the place where I was. And but it didn't really help me to see my part in 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 things. Um, it really, um, it was very much a way of saying how others has ruined my life and has, uh, you know, done a lot of damage to my life, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, thanks God I came after some time, you know, doing uh, with my process, you know, one day at a time. I I came into first, I came into the coffee shop and then I I came into the, you know, to Vision for You and and other um, big book studies and I, you know, by learning uh, with with the sponsor and and listening to this uh, you know meeting, um, I'm learning more and more that you know to make an inventory of myself is not what I, what I used to have on me you know terrible guilt and remorse and shame or look at it how bad I've been and all the things I take it now like a, like an incredible gift from God. And an incredible gift that I've, I've, I'm giving to myself to to take responsibility for my life, to take my responsibility for the things that I that I do or I have done, like a human being. And you know what it says in this paragraph. I mean, it's uh, it's so normal. You know, I, I I mean, I used to live many many years with this. You know, concluding that because of others, you know, my parents or my this or my that, you know, I am like this and. I became an addict, and I became a person that wants to, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, I realized that, you know, I can't, do, I can't do anything to change the world, and I can't do anything to change anybody. I can't do anything to change myself, even. I can, I can only come in, in a humble way with my open arms into God and say, God, I need your help because I, can't, I just can't manage my life. And this is what this process takes us, I believe, very much, you know, through the steps. It's like a journey back to God. And, and the, more, the more we do it, the more we practice, the more we go along with it, um, we realize how much we need to trust, rely, and depend on Him. And all these words, they, they sound some time ago like, wow, depend, and abandon myself to God, and all these things. I said, what? I mean, how am I going to do that? You know, it's impossible. You know, if I don't do it, he was going to do it. But I don't know how. It, it's, 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 that's exactly the miracle, you know, of this spiritual experience 
experience. I don't know how, you know. I've been keeping doing my work the best I can, you know. And he's doing it for me, you know. It's just so unbelievable that he is doing it for me. He's helping me to let go. He's helping me to turn over things. He's helping me to, you know, to be, you know, to do my meditations and, 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 and calming myself in moments of being overwhelmed. He's just doing it for me. And, and, and uh, you know, how did I get out of the way? You know what? I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. Only God has the answer. Only God and his power, because I'm totally powerless about my life and everything. I'm as human as everybody else, you know. And I will continue being. And, and the difference now is that before, I chose to run away from that and to go and hide with the food or with all kinds of craziness. And now my decision is, no, there's another, there's another choice, Miriam. There is a choice of going through life through truth. You know, there is, there is a God. There is a, a God that is almighty and, and able to do anything for you. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. And, I, and my tear, and I have a, eyes full of tears with gratitude for, for my sponsor and for my God and for all of you in this uh, place. Uh, we're all trudging together. Thank you so much. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And Janice, please, on this paragraph. Thank you. And Amy, too. Good morning. Good morning, Leah. Leah. Good morning. Vision for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. So I just want to remind you and myself of what it was like when I got to this point. You know, what was it like when I got to this point? I was in full battle mode. I was in a vicious battle to try to control my compulsive overeating. I knew. I knew that I would continue to pick up. I knew because my experience had showed me that. But I also knew I didn't want to anymore. I knew I didn't want to anymore. And if you're in that place, what are you going to do about it? When you know you cannot stop, and when you know you don't want to anymore. Well, there are steps here, laid out, precise directions, and if you want what we have, they're there. They're there, because that's how we did it. And so we're being shown and taught that resentments those things that live over and over and over again in our heads were crowding out the sunlight of the spirit. Because I suffered from a spiritual illness. And this was going to be the way out. And so you said to me, take off the armor, Janice. Take it off. Take off the gun belts. Take off, take off everything that you've been carrying around trying to defend yourself. And look, honestly, nothing counted except honesty and thoroughness, the book says. You know, take it off. It feels vulnerable. Yes, indeed it does. But it was the only way I could get honest with your help to do these things directly as they're laid out in the big book. Look at my fears. Look at my resentments. Look how I tried to control people. I wanted everything to be safe, and I thought if everyone just did what I, wa- what I wanted, we would all be safe. But I didn't see how managing and controlling, how trying to get people to change and do what I wanted 
only made for more futility and unhappiness. But once I got to this point where I said, I am willing to do anything. I am willing to do anything. Show me how. Show me how to do this. Let me continue to keep my nose in the big book and read how it works for other people. And then I could list all of these things because you have listed them all. And so had you, and so had you, and so had you. And so if you could do it, I could do it. And if you got the sunlight of the Spirit as a direct result, I want that too. And so I began to do the things that you did and get what you got. Another day of abstinence, another day closer to my higher power, another day to live with spiritual principles. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Janice. Yes, I just wanted to comment here before we wrap up. It says, the first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. And, you know, that was so true. You know, I was like uh, having slow motion replay. You know, I had uh, taped out certain situation and uh, situations and incidents in my life and although they happened you know in 1971 and 1982 for instance uh they I would replay them in slow motion replay let's look at it again and let's look at it again and I can't uh proceed in my life because of this incident and I can't accomplish things because of this person and I can't succeed in the ways I want to succeed because of this situation you know to conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us got I recorded everything they did and I just played it over and over that's exactly what a resentment is and we make ourselves sick we make ourselves sick because we self-destruct by our own hands and fists under the guise of seeking ease and comfort. And this self-centered thinking over the years and over the course of these incidents and conversations and occurrences in my life had given me emotional twists which had discolored my personality and had altered my life for the worse. So at step four here, I have separated from food, that's for sure. I'm no longer a slave to food, but enslavement still threatens me because I stayed stuck in the resentment. I never ventured beyond the first and second columns here of this template that we studied on page 65 because I was able to get a lot of mileage from those spiritual pests like self-righteousness, like indignation, like character assassination of some of these characters in my play, and, and certainly justification to binge my brains out until my eyeballs hurt. I mean, victimhood gets a lot of power from resentments. There's a great deal of energy in resentments. And I neglected to look at my own role in their creation, and I avoided responsibility in my life because I kept putting blame on these other people and situations and circumstances in my life. You know, and I, of course, set myself up for more turmoil and more retaliation and more wrongdoing. And it's a nasty brew. Thank God for the program of recovery that comes along and allows us to take a look at this because these wrongs, so to speak. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. This whole uh, brew here affected my ability to get on with life. 
And I was like the walking wounded. And that's how we are when we crawl our way into Overeaters Anonymous, like the walking wounded. The question is, how free do you want to be? And with that, I'm going to close the meeting now. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Devorah, are you available to read from page 164, A Vision for You? Yes, here I am. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Our book is to be suggested suggested only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.